Welcome back to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Today is Friday, October 11th, 2019. So glad you're here. Today is the the fifth and final day, at least for this go-around, with John P. Clark, who's the author of Between Earth and Empire, From the Necrocene to the Beloved Community. John, yesterday we talked about ways for people to get started, and you rightly suggested that, uh, first of all, it's not necessarily necessary to invent things on your own. In many cases, people are already working on projects, uh, you know, of which you can become a part. But you also talked about the idea of things like buying land or starting a center if you're in a more urban area, kind of finding like-minded people to begin to embark on the creation of these small communities with. And I guess maybe for our, our final day together, I wanted to explore a little bit how we get from those small projects to the larger global change that is necessary if this third revolution is going to take place. What's the how does how does it grow? How does it grow from these small projects into the larger thing we need? That's an interesting question because uh, I, I mean the answer is I, I, I follow uh, Nagarjuna's Buddhist dialogue. <laughs> it is, it is not, it both is and is not, it either is nor is not, and there are problems with even all of those. You know that it grows it, it from out of it, but it also doesn't grow out of it because we 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 can never just act on one level. The cover of the book is a picture of the Grasberg mine in East Papua. Uh, which is uh, was taken over by Indonesia in the 60s. And I, I spent 10 years working on issues related to the Papuan people, and it really changed my direction considerably, working with indigenous people from the other side of the world, you know, for 10 years. And uh, I started out by fighting against a large corporation that was proposing to dump gypsum, so low-level radioactive gypsum waste in the Mississippi River. And then I found out that they were also engaged in uh, cultural genocide and ecocide in, in West Papua. So uh, I think as soon as you start working on issues uh, locally, there, you find uh, – if, if you if you do it with an openness to all of the implications of what you're working on, that is, you know, with with an awakened mind and also with a care for uh, everyone and everything that's ultimately ultimately affected by the issue you're working on, the issues you're working on, it leads you in many directions. So, you know, I'm certainly not proposing that people just create uh, affinity groups or just create base communities, but that they do a lot of other things. I mean, you know, so I mentioned Rojava, which is a great advance because of the, the, the local assemblies and councils and many other activities that are taking place. So uh, I, I would hope that at the same time that people are creating these primary communities, or these primary communities are growing out of their activities, that they would be working on things like trying to uh, to transform local institutions so that, for instance, neighborhood assemblies, neighborhood councils would emerge. For over 40 years, I've been active in the cooperative movement. Uh, I just did an interview with there's, there's a new group called Cooperation New Orleans, which has a radio program, and we were talking about uh, how I got started with child care co-ops, food co-ops, and worker co-ops back in the 70s 
And I really believe that every aspect of life has to be transformed. So we, we need to find forms of, of uh, direct participatory democracy for decision-making in the neighborhood at the local level. We also have to transform work. I'm also a member of the IWW. Off and on, I've been a member for many years, since the 70s. And uh, I really believe that we have to uh, relearn solidarity with other working people around the world. So I think labor organization is important. You talked earlier about uh, forms of technology that exist today that surround us, which uh, I think we have to approach in a very critical manner, especially the ways in which the South has been transformed by technology and forms of communication. Uh, but we also, to use the Buddhist term, we have to use a pie of skillful me- means <laughs> in, in relation to all of these institutions. Uh, so one thing that I found out working with the Papuans is that uh, miraculously, you know, I, I would know what was going on in West Papua every day if the government had attacked the community or, or uh, if there had been a riot or if there had been some activity uh, at the mine. I would know that immediately. So kinds of uh, global solidarity become possible uh, by using contemporary means of communication that weren't available before. But on the other hand, we haven't talked about this anarchist geographer and philosopher, Elise Reclu, that I've spent decades uh, working on. But uh, one of the the things that uh, I learned from him was uh, the importance of the First International. And uh, he was very active in the First International. He was a communitarian anarchist, basically. Uh, But he also believed that there had to be a solidarity of, of all human beings. And uh, amazingly enough, of, 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 with all beings, really, with all living beings. So he pointed out that the establishment of the International Workers Association was the first time that human beings came together with the aspiration of uniting all of humanity in a, in a quest for, for the liberation of ourselves and ultimately the liberation of the earth. Uh, so I think we have to think in those terms. Uh, this is also why it's so important to to have our own forms of of uh, education. I mentioned the freedom schools in Mississippi, the uh, the Ateneos in in uh, Latin America and uh, Spain and and other places. Uh, we need to educate ourselves. I mean, our education has to be about that kind of solidarity about what's happening uh, to the planet, but also we have to learn to have a very a, the kind of uh, of intimate knowledge of our, our own place that indigenous people had. Uh, so, so, so these are the challenges. This is, this is what transforming our lives and, and uh, you know, transfiguring uh, would, would mean. For me, one, one real comfort in the idea of localized action, and obviously I do understand, I understand you're talking about the ways in, in which it immediately begins to connect to the global, but is that the, the way we often confront problems these days is how do we solve this entire thing at once? And that becomes just a recipe for, you know, inaction or feeling overwhelmed. Whereas building with the people who are right around us and beginning to deal with how to create more cooperative forms of living with the folks right around us in the place where we are, it seems to make that achievable. It seems like something 
you can kind of see happening in a way that I often find it more difficult to relate to the larger problems. Even if you end up relating to those larger problems, it, it doesn't fill you with <laughs> right. quite as much despair, maybe. Well, I, I think you're right. I think we have to, we have to, uh, to confront uh, issues that are, that are close to us, and we have to succeed. We have to see good things happening. And, and that's what happens. Okay, one of the things, there are a couple of things in the book I mentioned that are very practical. And one is that I, I begin with this thing, notes of a slow learner, like how I learned things over decades. And uh, I developed this concept of um, respect for my own stupidity, you know, keep thinking about what I'm not thinking about and what I'm overlooking and, and, and learning from mistakes. I think that's really important. But another thing I think I mentioned in the book is how I kind of got uh, developed an idea of how to how to uh, assess groups of people that I might work with. I, I've run into people that who really inspire me. For instance, I'll give an example. There are people in New Orleans who have worked with the Catholic Worker Movement and Pax Christi, if you know what that organization is. I, I taught at a Catholic university for over 40 years, so I came in, t- in, in contact with the Catholic left a lot. When I was around the Catholic worker people, so let's say, I felt better. They seemed happy. They seemed generous, happy, positive about reality. They seemed like very nice people. <laughs> and they made me feel better. They made me feel, they actually made me become a better person when I was with them. And I've also had this experience. I've spent a lot of time in India with Tibetans. I may be going back this summer. But I I started a program uh, in 2005. It's a month-long study program in India in the Tibetan community in Dharamsala. And uh, when I'm with Tibetans, I have that feeling. It's a culture of cooperation. It's a culture of deep respect for others. It's a culture that's very affirmative. This is one of the things that's become important to me, to work with people who make you feel better and become a better person and begin to realize your ideals in, in immediate practice. And John, I think that's a beautiful place uh, at which we, we have to draw it to an end. Uh, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you this week. I'm really happy that you took the time to do it, and I thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it, and uh, I, I think you're doing a great project. I wish you the best. That's John Clark. He's the author of Between Earth and Empire, among other works. You can find it at pmpress.org. And uh, I really, I can't encourage you strongly enough to read this book. We we barely scratched the surface in these five days, and there's just so much more there to uh, to inspire you and, and get you into action and to let you know that you're not alone, which is incredibly important. You can find this show at abriefchat.com, and you can become a member if you'd like. I'll be back next week. I love you. A better world is possible.